0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: Do you have the right attitude? Now, many people would say, I certainly do, but what they mean is this. When things are going comfortably in their life, they're not experiencing problems and opposition they're achieving the things that they want to achieve, life in other words is is good, then they have a right attitude. But what about those times when things are far from good? You're experiencing opposition, there's hardship, there's difficulty, perhaps there's lacking, there's hurt in your life, does those things change your attitude? well what david's going to teach us is that they ought not we need to have a consistent mindset regardless of our circumstances our circumstances do not impact how we think about god god does not change because i'm having a bad day god does not change because of what my enemy may be doing god is forever faithful And therefore, the right attitude is this, that we trust God, that we depend upon him, that we rely upon him, that we seek his presence and his provision in our life, knowing that in the end, through God's anointing, his provision, we will overcome. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 62. Now, this psalm opens up in verse 1 of the Hebrew text with what's known as an inscription. We've come across numerous ones in our studies of psalms up until now. And what I want to share with you is this. This particular inscription doesn't give us a lot of information. For example, if you look at at the inscription, now, if you're following in a Hebrew Bible, it will be verse 1. Most other... Languages, the translations set this verse above the first verse. It's verse one in the Bible. But you may have it above the first verse, which means there's going to be a one verse discrepancy between the number I give for the verse and what your Bible says. Be aware of that so that you can follow along with ease. Let's begin. He says, To the chief musician, to that choir director, the leader of, of the worship, of using this psalm at a time of corporate worship. So it's addressed to him, and then we have a phrase. The word al, meaning concerning or about, and then we have literally a name, the name Yidutun. Yidutun is a Levitical family. Now, the Levites were very much leaders of worship, so perhaps this one, he wrote the tune, the melody, the, the way that this is, is chanted and sung in corporate worship, so it's concerning and perhaps he was a well-known individual at the time that David wrote it, perhaps his melodies, his tunes, his style is what's being referred to here, but none of that really helps us in understanding this psalm. And then finally we have the phrase in the end of verse 1, mizmor le david, a psalm of David. Now let's go to verse 2, probably verse 1 in your Bible. It begins with the word ach. Ach is a term of emphasis, and it's also a term of affirmation. So we could translate it, Surely. Meaning this is factual, this is the proper way to respond. He says, surely to God, silent is my soul. Now, this word for silent, and again, I realize that that different translations render it differently. It does not mean to wait, although that may be the implication, being quiet, being still, Being someone who is waiting for God to move in our behalf. All of this is reflected, but the natural word here that's used is a word for quiet. Being still, not moving but, but trusting in God. A silence that says, I acknowledge God over all things. So this is what David says, surely. And we could understand that even in... Difficult situations. Yes, at those times too, to God, my soul is is still, is quiet. Why is David being still? Why isn't he alarmed? Or as many Bibles say, why is he waiting? Because he knows something. He is inadequate to change his circumstances. Now, oftentimes people will tell you in the world, you know, you just gotta want to change. Well, just because I want to change, and even if I'm willing to do whatever to change, I may not have the power, the ability to bring about change. But I know who does, and that's God. That's why David is quiet. He's not alarmed. He is not panicking. His attitude has not changed because he knows something. From him, meaning from God, is my salvation. Now, here, the word salvation... Is not probably being used in a sense of eternal life entering into the kingdom of heaven the forgiveness of sins salvation is all these things but but in a different sense david is using and understanding salvation in the sense of deliverance and victory in a given situation at that time in his life that he is going to find that he overcomes these things because of God God is a source of this overcoming this deliverance he then goes on look at the second verse he says same word ach. surely he and this is referring to God is my rock and my salvation rock is oftentimes a term relating to Messiah the rock of our salvation that term sewer is frequently used in regard to Messiah being the rock. And we see that rock also speaks about a foundation. When we stand upon the right foundation, faith in Messiah, his word, his promises, what's going to happen? The next thing, my salvation. I, through being in the right foundation, I am going to find this deliverance. I am going to eventually overcome. There's going to be victory in my life. He also says concerning God that he is my defense and I will not, literally, I will not collapse greatly. Now, it's an interesting term because he's saying, there's not going to be times in my life that never does that enemy have any effect on me. He's not saying that. He's saying this, there's not going to be a great collapse, meaning this. I may be wounded, I may stumble, I may fall, but the implication is I'm going to get up. There's not going to be victory for the enemy. They might wound me, harm me, hurt me, impact me, but there's not going to be this this great disaster. Why? Because victory is with God. David's saying, I'm in a covenantal relationship with God. I am going to end well because I'm going to have that kingdom experience. I have been redeemed. I have been, been already promised victory for this faith. Therefore, there's not going to be some great collapse in my life. I might stumble, but I will get back up. Now, David here, when he says, surely to God, he's my, my rock my salvation my defense he realizes something that he is not going to be defeated by the enemy realize that the enemy is not going to have victory the enemy is not going to be standing in the end you are not because of who you are but because what covenant you entered into who is your Redeemer and your Savior who is a Lord If it's Messiah Yeshua, and better yet we should say since it is Messiah Yeshua, then you have assurance. The victory is going to be yours. You don't need to panic in these these minor skirmishes that you encounter in life. They are not going to define you or defeat you. You will rise from all of these things. Look on to the next verse. It's a phrase that we've encountered before. ad Anna. Ad is until. Now, I realize that most Bibles will say how long or until when, something along these lines. Now, it's not the phrase that we see frequently in the scripture, ad matai, until when, but ad, and then we have the word ana, which is a plea. It is a very polite way of beseeching God. So it might be saying until how long god is this beseeching that i'm making going to go unanswered that you are going to be appearing to me how long are you going to be appearing as non-responsive see god he may tarry from our standpoint it may seem that we have to wait a long time but we know something in the end god's going to move so he says how long and then he's saying will they these ones who want to harm to do i think many bibles will say mischief we're talking about those who want to cause affliction upon men how long until you respond god until i see a change and it says these individuals what are they about well he says all of you meaning all of these people all of you david is saying you murder. They are not, and here's the difference, they are about destruction. They are about not giving life, blessing a life, but rather taking a life. They see all opponents as, as those that need to be removed and, and dealt with completely, eliminated from, from their, their life. They don't want opposition, so they say just put them to death is what this part of the verse is saying. And it says something. At the end of of this verse, verse 4 in Hebrew, 3 in English, we have the phrase, which is a wall that is, is about to fall. And what David is saying is this. These individuals who cause mischief, These individuals, that that they are all about eliminating others, those who stand in their way, realize they are about to fall. God is going to deal with them. If not today, tomorrow. If not tomorrow, the next day. But they are like that wall that's beginning to collapse. They are like a, a fence that has been uprooted. Now, David, see, this is why his soul Is quiet that he's calm that he's not uh, falling to pieces because he knows he can see in the spirit that these opponents they are soon going to be no more God is going to deal with them just like you can look at a wall that perhaps is is has cracks in it that is not stable and you know this wall is about to fall this fence it's no longer longer doing anything it's been uprooted lifted up and tossed aside this is what david is saying about such individuals that are about mischief and about eliminating others in order to accomplish their desires verse verse 5 and hebrew verse 4 and others he says again ah surely and then we have a word for for his we might have the word exaltation. Now, David is speaking here, in my opinion, about someone who is is one who has a future of of being exalted. We humble ourselves in this world, God will exalt us. God is going to acknowledge us. We all know that verse about uh, lift up your heads. Why? God's going to redeem he is going to bring about that victory so he says here but his exaltation what are they doing the enemy they are taking counsel to do what to to reject this one to put this one down to cast this one aside so they don't like this this exaltation god acknowledging his people we could understand it god blessing his people they don't like it. They take counsel against this. And furthermore, he says, they want, what do they want? The next word, deceit or falsehood or lies. That's what they want. They're not about truth. And here's what the scripture is saying. They're those that God looks at, God is pleased with, and God wants to lift them up. These are the, one, the ones who God is utilizing, God is blessing, God is acknowledging as His people. There are those. These ones who want to kill, these ones who cause problems, mischief. What are they doing? They're taking counsel and how to put them down. And He says here, Surely His exaltation, they're taking counsel to to remove this one to cast this one out they they want lies in their mouth they will bless meaning oh they say say nice things but in their midst they will curse selah so we see something we see a difference with the enemy of how they speak they say one thing but inwardly they are about something else. Now that is the wrong attitude. We shouldn't be saying one thing but thinking something else. We need to be people who speak truth, who have no, nothing in our life that's, that's false, that's deceitful, that, that isn't transparent. That's what he's saying here. And when you have that, that transparent, that, that life that's true to what you're thinking, is what you're saying and what you're doing, It gives you that that calmness it gives you that assurance so let's press on look if you would to the next verse where it says again ah surely to god he says it again to god still or quiet is my soul because from him he says is my hope now david is saying here i have a certain hope. Now, I've said this many times, but it's worth repeating, not because what I've said, but because it's biblically sound. What the word of God reveals is that there is a connection between the promises of God in his word and hope. Hope is when we believe and trust and expect God's promises. What God has said This is what I'm hoping in. We don't hope. Our hope doesn't originate with our wants, with our desires, or as you hear many people use, our dreams. This is not of interest to God. These things are usually rooted in self, pride, in a a sinful nature manifestation. It's the sinful nature that's speaking and thinking and conjuring up these things, not God. Our hope is not based upon what originates with us, but what God has promised specifically in his word. So David says, surely to God, meaning before him, in regard to him, silent is my soul. I have confidence. I don't need to fret and worry. I don't need to, to do anything but simply wait And believe in God's word, and that's why he says, "My hope." Look at it very carefully. He says, "My hope is from Him." Verse, verse seven in Hebrews six and others. Again, ach, surely. Remember, it's a word of affirmation, a word that's emphatic, emphasizing. Surely, He is my rock and my salvation, my defense. And he says, I will not be, in most translations, I will not be moved. Literally, I will not collapse. Now, here he's saying, there is not going to be, when I trust him, it is not going to have any meaningful effect in my life. These obstacles, these hardships, what the world's saying, oh, he's getting, he's getting his the world's getting the best of him he's struggling with things doesn't matter how the world sees it we will not be moved away from this hope i think there's an inherent relationship between what he's just said and what he's saying now his hope is not going to be moved it's not going to collapse it's not going to be harmed by the current experiences that he's having at this time next verse verse 8 in hebrew 7 and others concerning god now we could translate this about god he wants to reveal something about god and what is that that this god is and he uses the same root in a different form my salvation or my savior and my honor or my glory meaning this it's in his salvation that he gives to me I shared his salvation now his victory is my victory and his glory is going to be my glory what does that mean well if you're a good student for example of the prophecy of Zachariah, Zachariah in chapter 14 when it speaks about the kingdom the thing that stands out is light there's a unique light most scholars both Christian and rabbinical see this light as relating to the glory of God, we know in the scripture that wonderful phrase that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and all the world is full of His glory. Well, it speaks in Zechariah that the world's gonna be full of light, and most people understand that as God's glory. And what He's saying is, The victory, my salvation is that i'm going to be in the presence of god's glory now my glory doesn't originate with me i don't have any glory that that emanates from me this is not what david is saying what david is saying is it's not my glory originating with me but it's his glory that he shares that i step in why because i'm entering into his presence victory ultimately is being in the presence of God now this is what we need to realize and when we do it's going to change our our personal times of worship when we understand that that worship now one of the foundations of worship from a a biblical standpoint we come across this word korbanot korbanot sacrifices and offerings but what you may not know is that this word korban for a sacrifice is is the word in a different form for near when we are worshiping we are simply drawing near to god we're entering into his presence worship the more worshipful we are the closer we come to god that we're drawing near to him and this is what he's speaking about when he says my victory, my salvation, my my glory is being in the presence of God, being in his glory. For he is the rock of my power and the shelter, my shelter is in God. Now, David is acknowledging he sometimes needs God to be his defense. God to shelter him from what he's experienced. And he knows he doesn't have to panic he doesn't have to be full of stress and anxiety he knows that he's in a covenantal relationship with god and here's what i think is a very important takeaway for us is this that we know through this covenantal relationship that god he is our defense he is our savior he is our help we're not going to be moved away And any discomfort, any hardships, they're temporary. They are not going to champion over us. They're not going to have victory. They're not going to fulfill their purpose, that purpose of the enemy, to bring us down, to defeat us, to discourage us, to get us away from that trust, that reliance, that dependence upon God. They're not going to be successful. Then he says, look now to to verse 9 in Hebrew 8. In other bibles he says trust in him at all time at every time trust in him this is a word for for in modern hebrew insurance now we have insurance in case of unfortunate things accidents things that that cause injury that that brings about about destruction god is our insurance for the things of this life now is that meaning we shouldn't have insurance for our car and such didn't say that but when we're really talking about ourselves our eternity our our inner person only God is the insurance for that and that's what he's saying he says trust in him at every time then he says "Am," um, which means people so old people at all time, every time, trust in him. And then he says, pour out before him your heart. Now, this is saying when, when things are difficult, you don't need to panic. But it's it's wise to make these things. I wouldn't say known to God, but but you speak them to him because you give those things. That's what it's really about. God knows everything, but it's it's helpful to us to pray, to to give these things to God, to say, God, this is a struggle in my life, this is an opponent, this is a hardship, this is a hurt, this has wounded me, and now, God, I give them all to you. This is what he's talking about, pouring out to God your your heart. He goes on, (coughs) look at the next verse or the second part of this verse, he says, O God, a a shelter for us. You hear that? Shelter for us, O God. Selah. Another word of, of emphasis. Verse, verse 10. Surely. Now, some Bibles add things. Let's just see what it literally says. The word, Ach Hevel, B'nai Adam. Bene. Adam, Adam sons or children adam man so the term bene adam simply means human beings that's all it means that's all that's here and what he says ah surely this word of emphasis and affirming he says surely human beings and then he has a word hevel hevel is the same word that we see for example in the book of kohelet ecclesiastes that speaks about that which is futile, that which is vanity, meaning this, of nothing of eternal substance. The word hevel can also be used for a vapor. If you've ever been outside and you're, you're cooking out perhaps, and you see that heat rises, that, 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 that vapor coming up, and it dissipates very quickly. He says, this is surely humanity. In and of ourselves, left to ourselves, in this natural state, it's all futility. You are living, if you are not in a covenantal relationship with God, your life is a futile life. Your life is going to go by and dissipate. And there's going to be nothing of substance that has an enduring aspect to it. What are you're going to experience, that's eternity, punishment, and tournament. That's why it's so important to be in this covenant relationship. Then he goes on and says, verse verse 10, the second part, falsehood, lie, he says, is the sons of men. Meaning this, there's nothing futile about, there's nothing that's not futile and vanity with human beings. And also a lie human beings left to themselves they believe a lie meaning they're easily deceived by the enemy and they're pursuing something they're about something they're desiring something they're hoping for something that is not going to be and even if they achieve it it's not going to satisfy them like they thought a lot of people have accomplished great things and it leaves them empty it leaves them dejected because they thought if they could do this receive that achieve that whatever it might be acquire that they thought that would give them that joy that fulfillment that contentment that peace inwardly that they were seeking and it didn't so when you look at man's life apart from God it's vain it's futile and it's it's a lie It's not going to fulfill what life, that life that God intended will fulfill. He goes on and says in the second part of this verse, in the scales to to go up. So there's going to be a time of evaluation in the scales, meaning weight, being weighed out. And he says, for they, when you weigh them out, when you measure them, when you, you look at them, sufficiently correctly, it says they are futile altogether. Now he's adding one thing to this, this, this statement. A human being in and of himself vain, futile, deceit, lie, and he says, furthermore, if you add up all humanity and you weigh them, you get that same thing, and it's not hard for, under, under, for us to understand. Whether you're doing multiplication or 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 addition zero times zero is zero zero plus zero is zero there's nothing there's nothing to humanity if we just live in this body and we don't experience redemption we're not in a covenantal relationship with god then it's all futile it's all empty there's nothing lasting verse verse 11 10 in other languages do not trust in oppression now we had trust in god now he's saying don't trust don't trust in oppression meaning don't think because you can't oppress this person control this person don't think that your ability to control others is going to change what, what where you're heading on your own apart from god It's not going to bring about anything that's different. So he says, do not trust in oppression and in in theft. And this is stealing as well. He says, do not, do not, you know, do this stealing because, again, it produces vanity. There's no substance of it. It doesn't accomplish anything. This oppression this this taking by force and furthermore he says wealth even in abundance wealth that is is multiplying excessively he says don't put your heart upon this don't think that great wealth is going to be the solution to to your life that it's going to give you things that you've always wanted meaning those inner things that peace that joy that contentment that assurance wealth doesn't do that and then finally he says one meaning one thing god has spoken twice this i have heard if we want something that has the power the ability to to change things it's not wealth it's not oppression it's not a lie it's not what man in his natural sense pursues and does and behaves what is it it's a who for God for power is to God meaning power belongs to God now this power it has a purpose it is for the purpose of the will of God the righteousness of God now notice what he says he says at the end the last verse he says something if you want to know two such valuable truths from god we see it at the end of of this psalm where he says to you o master it's the word for lord but the lord as ruler master the authority to you o lord hased, grace god has grace now, it also says, for you will pay out to everyone according to his deeds. It's interesting because what we see here is something that's, that's almost in conflict. There are no conflicts, true conflicts in the scripture. This is what the scripture is saying at the end. You have two approaches to life. Now, God will indeed reward us according to our deeds. What does the scripture say? Behold, I'm coming quickly to render to each man, to pay out, just like it says here, according to his deeds. This is for rewards. In regard to rewards, yes, it's the grace of God that works in our life that causes us to be rewarded. Grace at work in our life produces good works. But here he's speaking about a different message. And that's this, God is a righteous judge. He will pay you according to your deeds. That's one thing. Do you want to be judged according to your deeds? And here, it's not speaking about a judgment of rewards, but a judgment of the very essence of a person. I don't want to be judged by my actions. I want to be judged as a recipient of God's grace. God's grace, as we know throughout the scripture, brings about a very significant change. So what he's saying here is this, he says, to you, O God, is grace and that grace can work in all these situations all these obstacles all of these things that's going on against those who want to cause mischief and want to cause murder and those who are about deceit and those who oppress god's grace can deal with that and god's grace can deal with me not being judged ultimately based upon my actions As where I'm going to spend eternity is not going to be based upon my actions but based upon the grace of God that I've received so two very different approaches two experiences you are either going to be judged for everything that you said everything you thought everything that you did or you're going to be judged ultimately this judgment of the very essence of man whether you are a kingdom one or not you're going to find if it's based upon your actions you're going to come up inadequate you are going to be judged to be a sinner and to be cast away from the presence of God in that darkness that place of of weeping and gnashing of teeth but if you receive the grace of God then you can be assured by his grace not us not our merit not what we have done but by his grace That we will be a recipient of God's mercy, his forgiveness. God's grace provides for us mercy and forgiveness so that he will receive us into his kingdom. You know, for a judgment of rewards, you have to be in the kingdom. If you're not in the kingdom, there's going to be no rewards. There's just going to be condemnation. Well, I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel.